Hello and welcome. I'm Shannon Shotler, your host, and this is The Messy, Mucky Middle, a podcast dedicated to talking with real people about the most real parts of their life and career transition stories. Today, our guest is Angie. Angie is a 47-year-old educator, advocate, wife, and mom. She spent over 25 years as a teacher, advisor, and team leader working on college campuses across the country. She earned a doctorate in education at the University of Colorado and is a former Anti-Defamation League Robert B. Sturm Mountain States Leadership Fellow. She currently lives in Denver, Colorado with her firefighter policy advocate husband and their 12-year-old son. But what we get to talk with Angie about today is her time spent navigating that messy middle that follows meeting a lifetime goal and wondering what comes next. So this is Angie's messy middle story. Angie, thank you so much for your graciousness and willingness to be a part of this project. Thanks for having me, Shannon. I'm really excited about being here. Yeah. So Angie, transitions, I think, often begin at an ending. And I'm curious, what did you sense was ending in your life mm-hmm. when your transition story begins? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because as I was thinking about what messy middle I wanted to talk to you about today, because I feel like they're I feel like most of my life has been a messy middle, which is beautiful. Yes. Um, the the one that has that really um, resonated with me, and the one that I think you and I have spoken most about over the last couple of years, was um, I was approaching the defense of my doctorate, and uh, I had I had started that journey. 20 years ago, I was in a, a graduate program with the intention of earning my PhD and for lots of reasons, falling in love, wanting to move to New York, lots of things that happened. Um, I decided to master out of that program and then spent the next 20 years, like with all of these sort of soft starts and stops towards earning that that goal and meeting that milestone. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of years ago, I finally was at a point where I was like just a breath away from earning that degree. And it was, it, it created like a bit of a crisis for me in that this thing that I had always wanted to do this major milestone um, was kind of coming to an end. And then not only that, but like two or three years of that process were really kind of focused on that very particular goal and milestone. And then that was coming to an end. And so that ending really was kind of the start of of that question of what's next and and was the the start of kind of that messy middle that I've been, you know, managing for the last 18 months or so. And what do you remember feeling at that point? You know, a combination of panic (laughs) and relief at the same time, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, or maybe not relief. Relief sounds kind of like quiet and passive, more like panic and and, um, permission, maybe, is the other one, right? So panic in that I don't know what's next, and that's scary, and like permission to really think about what was next in a way that 
I felt like I hadn't had prior to that time because I felt like this was something I always needed to do first. I I kept almost using it, uh, I'm in academia, and so I kind of always used that uh, that degree attainment as um, as almost like an excuse for why I couldn't think about what was next. And all of a sudden, I had permission to really think about my next step. Yeah, I had a different. Um guests that I interviewed for the series say something like nothing was on the table. And so everything was on the table. (laughs) Very much so. A really overwhelming feeling. So what I loved what you described in the piece of like, it was both panic of like, oh shoot, I've been working on this for so long. And like, it's Mm -hmm. represented such a huge part of my identity and what I've been moving Mm -hmm. towards. And yet a huge wide open space of permission to see what wants to happen next. Yeah. I want to talk about confidence here a little bit because confidence Mm -hmm. is often something that folks are longing for, or maybe even Mm -hmm. like expecting of themselves when they start out a transition journey. Did you feel confident as you began this transition? It's it's such a great question. And it's hard for me to like, remember how confident I was in the beginning because Mm -hmm. I felt a considerable amount of confidence towards the end. But I think a lot of things kind of happened over that process. I think number one, working with you, working with a coach created a lot of confidence, Uh, you know, having other, you know, other colleagues and mentors and people in my life that were like championing me along the way created some confidence. I think I think that I had enough confidence in the, I think I've told you this story before, Shannon, but I'm a New Yorker. And, and when you're in New York, uh, you ride the subway everywhere, everywhere you go. Right. And I remember having a conversation with my mother, one of the first times that she was visiting me in New York city. And I lived there for a long time, but this was early on. And she was a little bit hesitant about riding the subway by herself. And I said to my mom, I said, you know, the beauty of getting on the subway is if you go the wrong direction, all you need to do is get off, you cross the street, get back on, and it will take you back where you started from. Right. So I think that like was always sort of my lens in terms of moving into this transition was that, okay, if I move in the wrong direction, and as we talk about my story, you'll see that this played out well, like if I move in the wrong direction, there's going to be a pathway. It's just going to be like an on-ramp to something different, right? Like I, I didn't necessarily feel like I could make a mistake in terms of wherever I ended up. It was just more about about figuring out where I wanted to, to where I wanted to get on that subway, where yeah. I wanted to get on that road. Yeah. Oh, I love that metaphor so much. Yeah. And I love the mindset behind that, you know, the mindset, that permission that you gave yourself that maybe not everybody does give themselves the beginning of a, a transition or beginning to think, oh, mm-hmm. what if I take this subway to a new place? What if I do get off at a stop I haven't gotten off on before? What a beautiful permission slip. So rest and reflection are two things that, as you know, I talk about until I'm blue in the face, because Mm -hmm. typically in most transitions, they play a role. Did restoration play any sort of a role in your transition process? Did you feel like you needed to take time to restore after the big push to the doctorate? I think that was the hardest piece for me, honestly. I think I I tend to have a lot of energy. Uh, We've talked about this before. I, I think I just... I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of enthusiasm. And so it was hard for me, you know, you talk about cocooning, right? Like it was hard for me to be, 
to find that space. So I did, yes, I absolutely had to find, uh, you know, sort of moments of rest or restoration, but I started to realize that restoration doesn't look the same way for everyone, right? And I think that was an important thing for me to realize where some folks, I think restoration means like sitting back and breathing and, and reflecting for me, it was really, I think more about doing and acting and to use sort of your words. And I go, I know we'll probably talk more about this in a little bit, but like experimenting, like that was really restorative for me. It was to like have an opportunity to sort of dabble a little bit in a way that I hadn't maybe before. And I got a lot of energy from that. So Yes, I think I think I did find moments of rest and restoration, but I think it looked different than what I imagined rest and restoration would be. Yeah, so you imagined it would be more of that like oh, like slow <laughs> spacious stillness in this cozy cocoon and for you it sounds like rest and reflection or restoration and reflection came more in the form of active experiments, Mm -hmm. like getting out in the world and doing and trying some things to see. Yeah. Well, then let's shift gears a little bit into experiments because Mm -hmm. they're also a big part of transition. But maybe before we do that, let's just name for a minute, were there different possible paths or possible selves that you considered after PhD? 100%. What was on the list? (laughs) Yeah, I think if if I remember right, and I actually went back and looked at like some of my initial notes of my, my kind of identity crisis in terms of what's next, there were lots of possibilities, but, but there were like three things that I was thinking really carefully about, right? Like, so one was about, about sort of public service. I had always thought a lot about um, uh, moving into public service and, and, there was a lot of energy around, especially after the election in 2016, about um, about sort of identifying folks in various spaces to run for public office, whether it be local office or or state office or federal office or whatever the case might be, and and I and so I was kind of caught up in that as well in terms of, oh, I have a lot to offer this space. So I thought a lot about that and what that might look like. Mm-hmm. I thought a lot about moving into sort of a nonprofit space where I could have sort of broader scope. I'm an educator by trade and and really started to kind of question whether or not there were things that I could be doing to to impact education more broadly. Mm-hmm. And then there was a kind of a, a possibility of sort of staying in the work that I was doing, but being able to sort of move upward and onward, whether that be in toward like some sort of executive leadership on a college campus. And then I think there was kind of a fourth possibility too, which was to like really lean into teaching and and lean mm-hmm. into kind of more of a, a full-time faculty role. I teach, but it's it, it's always been sort of more of as an, as an adjunct or an instructor or like complementary to my administrative work. So those were like the four kind of big possibilities in terms of what was next for me. Yeah. And what role did experimentation play in helping you gain clarity amongst those yeah. four? I mean, I love to experiment, right? Like it's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) 
You are like, honestly, you're a pro at it. Like it's like poster child. That was a huge part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast. Cause I think you, you did such a phenomenal job with experimentation to experiment your way into identifying what was the right next thing. Yeah. I yeah. think the thing I love about experimenting Shannon is like, it, it sort of justifies my wanderlust a little bit. Right. <laughs> so it like allows me to sort of experience different things with purpose yeah. <laughs> versus just being able to say, oh, you know, I'm going to dabble in this. And then when I get bored, I'm going to move into something different. So it allowed me to like really be purposeful around kind of that dabbling. I uh, worked with you, you know, obviously this is yeah. like why I'm so, you know, pro folks at various stages of their life, but definitely when they're in spaces of transition to to have a coach they can trust to sort of help ask those questions. Because one of the things that did was identify very specific ways that I could experiment in each of those spaces. So I uh, joined the, I, I applied for and was appointed to the planning commission for our local city council and started, you know, attending city council meetings and started being kind of a part of that, that local government work. Uh, I did that. I became a fellow with the Anti-Defamation League and really got an opportunity to see what it looks like to be in a kind of a national organization doing for the ADL sort of social justice work. But but what does it feel like to be in that kind of space? Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of opportunity on my own campus to kind of lean into becoming a, a better faculty member. There were some kind of micro-credentialing things that were happening on my campus that I was able to do. So, you know, really being intentional about actual, like, action steps and programs that were, you know, short-term enough, like, with a beginning and an end. Yes. Um, that, that gave me an opportunity to sort of test or to taste what it might be like to to do sort of a larger or be sort of more broadly committed to one of these, one of these spaces. And so that was, I think, one of the, the most valuable, valuable things that I did over the course of like a year long process. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the point you just made of like short time frame, right? Like mm -hmm. not long-term commitments. And I don't think that's something that anybody has touched on yet in the interview so far of how do we make sure that our experience are where possible shorter commitments so we can dabble and see. One of the most vivid things that I remember is how you were thinking public service was the path. Mm -hmm. And then you joined that planning commission and you got some very helpful data that was like, I did. Oh, maybe this isn't it. I wonder 100%. if 100% speak a little bit to that, that, yeah. that specific experiment. No, absolutely. So I... I really thought when we started our work together, Shannon, that I was going to run for public office. Like I thought for sure that that was going to be what I did next. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I, if you had asked me, you know, what on a scale from one to 10, you know, which of these is the strongest, I would have said, that's my 10. But I, I joined the planning commission. It's something I'm still on, um, yeah. but in a different in at a different level. And I joined that planning commission as an experiment, and and it really is kind of a networking opportunity as well. Because I thought, you know, probably the next thing I would do is maybe run for city council or board of education, and then kind of move from there. And I remember, like within the first couple of meetings, honestly, like being kind of. <sighs> I don't want to use the word bored, but just not like energized the way that I am in other spaces, right? Yeah. 
What did Um, you learn about yourself in that experiment? Yeah, I learned, I have a really, I've always had kind of a difficult time with as energetic as I am, like have had a really difficult time, like understanding like what my body is telling me, right? In terms of like, what, what gives me energy? What doesn't give me energy? What do I lean into? What do I, don't I lead it, lean into? And I, and when I'm in a space where I'm energized, where I'm invested, I am very much like part of the conversation. Right. And I'm very much, um, uh, like even to some degree, like facilitating that conversation. And I found when I was in these spaces, I tended to be a bit more of an observer. I tended to be a bit more um, uh, kind of selective about, about when I leaned in and when I leaned out and just realized that I was, though it was really good work, it just, it wasn't energizing work for me in, in the way that I wanted it to be. And when I thought about uh, you know what that meant for me kind of moving forward especially given that it would like to to run for office somewhere down the road would have really pushed me outside of my comfort zone in some other ways as well. I'm not a networker. I wasn't really comfortable like asking people for money and doing some of these other things that I know would have been part of that. Yeah. I was like, ah, you know, I think I think I can leverage my strengths in in other ways. Yeah. And it might still like, who knows? You might still see Andy <laughs> running for office someday. Like we don't take that off the table, but we're just saying, no. oh, for this season of life, like yeah. in the experiments that you're running in this season of life, it was, it was a helpful experiment to show you right now. It's a no for me. Yeah. Well, I'm a firm believer in like never saying never. I think I told you this, yeah. you know, I'm such a storyteller, but I think I told you this story about Birkenstocks. I tell you my Birkenstock stories. I don't remind me because now I think everybody wants to hear the Birkenstock story because you're such a great storyteller. <laughs> so I remember, so, you know, I'm a child of the nineties, I'm 47. So I grew up in the nineties and I remember like that's when Birkenstocks first became kind of like a thing, right? And I was like, I will never own Birkenstocks. Like they are the <laughs> ugliest thing ever. Like never, ever, ever, ever. And now I wear Birkenstocks everywhere I go. So <laughs> I'm a firm believer that you never say never because what is true today may not be true for you tomorrow. So whenever I whenever I got get to say never say never, I always say, ah, but I do wear Birkenstocks today. So yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that story. It reminds me of when I first met my husband because he was wearing socks. <laughs> did he wear them with socks? Because that's the thing. Never he, wear those with socks. Angie, he did not, and he should have. <laughs> he is a hockey player's feet, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I had nice toes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've you you spend a, a year ish, I think you said, running different experiments. Yeah. How did you know what what the right next step was, or or what subway? If we keep continuing yeah. that metaphor, what subway line you wanted to take? Yeah, it's such a good question because I, I, I you know, I'll be really transparent right now. I got on that subway, I took it somewhere, and then I crossed the street and got on the subway that took me back to my starting point. So yeah. the last you know, eight or nine months have been a really interesting time for me. 
because an opportunity came my way about uh, 10 months ago to move into a position that with a nonprofit that was doing a lot of work in the state of Colorado, specifically where I live around degree attainment. And as, as I had said, like one of the, the experiments that I was doing was I was working with the Anti-Defamation League, loving that work, mm-hmm. learning a ton, making really great connections. And so out of all of my experiments, that's where I was getting the most energy is, is, yeah. is from that work. And so when I had an opportunity to, to move into kind of an executive role with this nonprofit, I thought, oh, this, this has got to be it. This has got to be it. And it was the right time for me too, because at the time I had been running a, a scholars program at, at the, at the university where I was working and working again. And there were like some questions around whether that scholars program was going to continue. And if it continued whether it would continue for me. And I wasn't quite ready to settle back into a role that didn't include that, that scholars program. So mm-hmm. I was so I think in terms of like my my decision to move in the direction that I did was sort of based on timing and based on that initial experiment. I, I had realized that it was time for me. I've spent 25 years on college campuses and I realized that I really needed to like walk away from that in a more like intentional way. And even though I did it at the time thinking that I probably wouldn't return to the college campus environment. I just knew that I needed a significant change. Like I needed, you know, when we talk about these sort of short-term experiments, all of those were, were good experiments and I was ready to do something kind of more intentional, more broadly where now what would my life look like if this was all that I did, if it wasn't like what I did on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. This opportunity came, I was really excited about like the people with whom I'd work and, and the, and and sort of the values that were driving their work and and I and I jumped like the 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 position came my way without my like looking for it too intentionally and it, and it definitely was the the right position at the right time yeah and so you get on that subway train right yeah and and you ride into that space a little bit mm-hmm. and we, I guess we know a little bit how the story ends because you've already mm-hmm. you've already led us there to say like Angie turns around I did but I'm wondering if you can talk to us about the point where you realized oh wait a second I'm not sure mm-hmm. I like this subway train and I think I might want to Across the street and head back in the other direction. Yeah, like I thought my st- I thought my messy middle was over, right? I thought yeah. I thought that this was you know I'd figured it out. This is what I was going to do, and I realized that I, I realized pretty quickly that this was just another experiment. I didn't realize it was going to be an experiment at the time, but, but yeah. I realized pretty quickly that it was an experiment. And for me, again, it kind of goes back to my to my planning commission example, right? In terms of really good work, really good people, important work and work that 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 even I was interested in, but I didn't want to get up every morning and do this work and do it, you know, I didn't want this to be the work that kept me away from, you know, my son and and my husband and and the other things that I wanted to do. I, yeah, it, it's so interesting Shannon because I think one of the things that I've gotten really good at doing in my old age is like just starting to to appreciate what my body tells me right and I just wasn't I mean I use this word energy a lot and 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 it's 
so obtuse and I know that it's probably not very helpful to people, but I just have started to realize like what gives me energy and what doesn't. Mm. And I just wasn't feeling very energized in the work. It was good work. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't that it just was not the work that I was supposed to be doing. Yes. Yes. And it's a common theme in these interviews that people are sharing of like, it was just a feeling like I just had mm-hmm. an energetic feeling that this was or was not the path for me. Yeah. I'm wondering though, if we can offer cues to listeners and maybe I'm yeah. the witness. So I'll just say it. That's okay. And then you tell me if this resonates for you or not, but typically you'll either feel an expansion in your body. Like, Oh, this is mm. an opening. This is like me mm-hmm. coming alive again. This is energy rising. or it will feel like a contraction or constriction or like a shutting down and you wanting to just get smaller. Does that resonate for you of like how it manifests in your body? It does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really like specific things like I was, I mean, like right now and most of my life, I've like hopped out of bed in the morning at five. I mean, I'm an early morning person. So like I'm a 5.30 a.m. person, right? And I want to be up before everybody else. I want to go for my walk. I want to drink my coffee. I want sort of that whole life before the rest of the world wakes up. That's just not what I was doing anymore, right? I wasn't doing that anymore. Things like, you know, just not being like as energized to move. And for some of this too, it might've been, I was working 100% from home. So I was working virtually primarily. So I think there were other factors that might've been influencing kind of my energy levels as well. But yeah, I just, I did. I felt, I felt constricted. I felt smaller. I felt more tired. I felt less creative. Yep. And I love too this, this example. And thank you so much for sharing this like vulnerable part in the process, because one, I think this is a normal thing to happen to transition. Like sometimes we do take a subway and we think it's going to be better and then it's not, and it is okay to turn around. But mm-hmm. then also the other part that I'm loving of what you're sharing is we're not making it about the work. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about like them or the work of the organization. It was Angie focusing in on Angie and listening to the cues inside of Angie that yeah. we're saying this is for me or this isn't for me. Yeah. Right. Which I guess Which is I, a response to the work, but we're not even making it about that. I think it's easy for people to point the finger out there yeah. instead of going in here and saying, wait a second. No, this just doesn't feel right for me. Yeah. I've had, I mean, I've had, uh, I've been so, you know, lucky over the course of this process to continue to find myself in, in, in environments where the people are good. The work is good the the mission is good whether it's the local city government work that that I was doing or am doing or the or the nonprofit work that I was doing um I, I know that a lot of people like will make a transition and end up in an environment that maybe it's the environment for me it, it just wasn't any of that it just was me in the environment and and I I love that I'm at a place in my life where kind of goes back to your confidence question, right? Like having the confidence to trust, to trust what I was feeling and to, and to make it okay to make a change. And that's huge for me. Like, had I done this transition, even just five years ago, Shannon, I'd still be working in that space because I would feel like, well, I have to be loyal to them. I can't leave a job. You know, it's good work. This is just about me. I can change me. I can do something different to make it sort of work better for me. And so, so I, I'm so happy that I'm at a place right now where, where I was able just to say, no, this isn't the right thing. And when I have an opportunity to make a change again, I'm going to, 
And, uh, and, and like I said, I, I don't think I would have been there a few years ago. Yeah. So let's talk about the the human side of this. I mean, I think mm-hmm. all of what you've shared is a very human side of transition. Um, but sometimes I wonder if we see transition or I hear folks talk about transition as a time where they feel like, oh, I can't really learn much or I can't really grow much because I'm in between mm-hmm. two things. I'm not really, quote, working toward something. And I don't know. I think that might be a total load of crap. And I'm curious to just invite folks who have actually been through a transition experience to maybe share what you did learn through that messy mm-hmm. middle time where you were, quote, in between two worlds. What mm-hmm. did you learn? What were some new skills or ways of being that you learned through that? Yeah. Time? Well, I learned that I like change. I really do. I I really appreciate change. And I, you know, I, I talk about sort of suffering from wanderlust mm-hmm. and, and I've had, you know, folks, you know, say that I'm, it comes from a place of ambition. And I think I realized that it's less about ambition and more about curiosity for me. Mm. I think I really am curious about people and spaces and things and, and the the beauty of being in transition and the beauty of sort of being, you know, in a space where, where one can experiment is it does allow you to ask a lot of questions of yourself and of others. Um, and so I, so I, I just learned that curiosity is probably one of my defining values. And I also, you know, for me, I learned and I'm still learning just how to kind of treat myself with a, a certain amount of grace that I haven't, that I don't know that I always have had in the past. Like it's okay to change. It's okay to, it's okay to, to try something and then to realize that that's not, that that's not the right fit. And it's so funny because it's something I've told my students for years, right? But there's like something, you know, I think there's something about giving yourself permission in your 40s to do that versus to give yourself permission, you know, when you're 18 or 19 years old, which are like the, the age group that I work with on a pretty regular basis. And so yeah, I've just I've learned to treat myself with with grace, and this isn't my last mess, messy middle. I really, you know, I feel really strongly about that. Like, I don't yeah. think that this is it. I think, you know, if I think about like my bookshelf, and I think about, you know, I have like the bookend, and then I've got the books, and then the bookend, and then the books, and then the bookend. Because if I just had like two bookends and all those books, at some point in time, they'd all start falling out, right? Like, I've got yeah. to do it in like little spurts. But I think what I I think what I'm excited about, whatever that next messy middle is down the road, is that I I do have like this this toolkit that has served me really well over the last 18 months or so that I that I'll be really excited to to utilize again. Yeah. And what would you say makes up the toolkit? Um, I think it is a combination of experiments. I mean, I think experiments are really powerful, Shannon. And I learned that 100 percent from you. I think it's something I had always done in some way, but had never like truly defined it. Like I love the idea of saying, I'm really interested in this thing and being able to do that 
thing and then to realize it's not the right thing. Like it's okay, right? Or to do this thing and be like, this is what I love on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. Yes, yes. (laughs) I don't need to change it. Doesn't mean I need to do it forever and every day. Yes. Doesn't mean I need to make my hobby my full-time job. Yes. No, no. I, I think that you know this, but I've spent like different stages in my life being like leaning into to being an artist and and like a performance artist, I did a degree in theater and and have danced at different stages. And I'm in what I call this old lady ballet class. Which I love, <laughs> by the way. I love seeing those updates on Instagram. <laughs> old lady ballet class. <laughs> and, and like, it's really great to dance on Saturday mornings. I don't, I, I'm never going to be a prima ballerina. You know, I wasn't going to be a prima ballerina when I was 20. So I sure as hell am not going to be a prima ballerina at 50. But it's okay just to do it on Saturday mornings. Like that's okay. Yeah. I don't everything doesn't need to be doesn't need to be like lead somewhere. Yeah. yeah, lead somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. It, but yeah. For me, I was thinking, oh, maybe this ties back to what's restorative for you. Mm-hmm. And just like getting to be True. in your curiosity is maybe mm-hmm. restorative for you. Getting yeah. to and it's ballet now, and it might be, I don't know, something else five months from now. And that's the beauty of it not being my life, right? Is you yeah. can change your hobbies. You can change, you know, those restorative practices based upon what you need. It is different season in your life. Yeah. I'm curious for us to touch on like the, the, the people element of transition a mm-hmm. little bit. I think this is something yes. that we don't always talk about or think about how has, well, I shouldn't assume has your community or any of your networks or circles shifted as a result of you going through this period? Mm, Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's a really important question. I mean, I have, I am married and I have an incredible 12-year-old son and this amazing husband that are my core and my anchor. And fortunately, you know, they, 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 for better or worse, support whatever I do or all of my crazy ideas. So they're, they're my constant. But I think one of the things that I did find really challenging about leaving uh, higher education for the short time that I did was that I did find that a huge part of my community was with the people with whom I worked, right? Mm. So there was kind of a recognition of the fact that that those circles change as you move in and out of spaces and and needing to be, you know, needing to be comfortable with those changes and okay with those changes. You know, I think in in the in the sort of the day of social media, I think it's easier for us to stay at least, you know, connected to our networks, even if they're not part of our immediate circle anymore. But you do feel that, right? Like you do feel as you move in and out of spaces that okay, this this group of people who are very much a, a, a part of, of, of my identity are no longer going to be part of my day to day. So yes, I, I think those, those circles change and, and, and your networks change for me, it just, it's important that, that you do, you know, recognize at least a couple of the key people you want to keep close and then just yeah. be okay with the fact that, you know, different people come in and out of your life at different times for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. The metaphor that's coming to mind for me, I don't know anything about belts or ceiling, so maybe I should to be able to use this metaphor. But as you were talking, I was getting the sense of like, there are the, the tethers, you know, like it's just, we're just tethered to the dock and then mm. there are the anchors. Yeah. You know, and so, and you kept your, your anchors, if you will, Mm -hmm. but the tethers might change. Like you might go tie your boat to a different dock, but you still have some anchors underneath the surface that you can, you can drop and sink into whenever you need them. 
I love that metaphor. It's such a great metaphor because I do think like when I think over like the course of my life, I probably could name, you know, a dozen people that have like been constants, right? That are those people that maybe I don't talk to them on a daily basis, but I know that if I shot an email to my English teacher from ninth grade, who, you know, is retired and living this incredibly incredible life somewhere else right now, you know, I could email him right now and he probably would respond and, yeah. and be, you know, one of my anchors. That's going to be true for every high school teacher that I had, right? Yes. Those are all tethers. And some of them meant a lot to me and had a huge influence on my life, but they're not the ones that I would think to to contact tomorrow if I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that you're still in a messy middle of sorts? Mm, I think that I am to mm-hmm. some degree. Like, and I think some of it's by choice, right? Like I think I could, I'm at a stage right now in like a new role back at 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 my university where I could, this, this could be like one of those bookends for a while. Like this could be a place where I want to be for a while. I I think I'm doing good work. I'm back with, you know, a a group of people I'm really excited to be working with, but you know, me, I mean, (laughs) I, I'm going to be, you know, I think part of it is just being an academic by trade, a researcher by trade, an educator by trade. Like I want to constantly be learning new things. And the more that I learn, the more that I want to like lean into those things. And so, so yeah, I think I love that. I love sort of that, that phrase messy middle because, you know, life is messy, right? Like it just is messy. All of it is messy. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably still in a messy middle, but I'm really comfortable in the messy middle right now. I'm not feeling anxious about being in this space at all right now. And that's a good feeling. It's similar to a conversation with a different guest. And we were joking about how, well, maybe, maybe all of life is just messy and we've been operating until we actually formally name any period of our life as messy and, you know, move through a more formal transition, if you will. Maybe we were just operating under an illusion before, <laughs> like it was ever controlled and like gripping the steering wheel. And I'm, I'm finding that as a theme too, with a lot of guests of just like feeling like, well, now that I've really moved through one and you've probably moved through many, but one that I'm mm-hmm. really labeling with this intentionality, I feel like I can handle more. Like, so I'm not too worried if I am, or if I'm not in a period of mess, because I know that I have the skill sets to navigate it. Yeah. It's like one of the questions that I ask my students all the time, which is, you know, I was just sitting down with a group of of new college students last night, and we were having a conversation around, you know, what some of their their concerns are, their anxieties are around being a new college student. And, and they were talking about like overwhelm and uh, not knowing what to expect in terms of classes and, and study habits and that sort of thing. And, and we were talking about, you know, what strengths have you utilized? What, what tools have you utilized in the past to, um, to manage a similar situation, right? Because everybody sort of has, like, we have the tools to, to be able to manage these kinds of situations. And it's just a matter of like, figuring out what those are and figuring out how to leverage them in new ways. And so I think that your other guest is absolutely right. Like, I don't know that we're ever, you know, not in, in some sort of in the like middle. Messy transition. And what is it? Like somebody said, like the first day of your new job, you update your resume because you're starting to look for your next, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think that's the case necessarily, but it, and it's a changing economy, right? Like, yeah. You don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know that my 
that my division is going to exist as it is six months from now, three years from now, five years from now. And so I think always kind of being prepared to, to adapt and change and move as, as I either am called to do or, or need to do, I think is just an important skill set in today's world. Yeah. What do you want others to know who may be going through or considering a similar transition? I mean, I think if, if I were to, to, to capture it in like a couple of key things, I think trust yourself is one of the most important things. Um, I know I've always had a difficult time, like disentangling what I want versus what others want for me. And sometimes I find myself in situations where I've gotten into those because somebody else has been really excited for me to like be in a particular role or to be in a particular space. And, and then it's hard for me to like figure out how I got there. Like, so, so just trusting yourself, like being able to kind of read how you're feeling in a space or, or in a place or in a role, I think is really important. And to have some grace around that. I do think, you know, I I have a 12 year old son and, you know, so he's entering that teenage and we were having this conversation around and he's a super social extroverted kid or my, my husband and I both being introverts, we're not quite sure, you know, how we <laughs> spawned him, but, but we did, but even, even though he's incredibly extroverted and has lots of friends, we were having this conversation, especially in, you know, it's not easy to be a teenager today. It wasn't easy for me 20 years, 30 years ago, certainly not easy. Now we were talking about how all you need is like one or two good friends, right? Like that's really all you need. Um, and if you've got one or two good friends, there's actually a lot of research that supports this too, that in college, you know, if you've got one or two good friends, you're sort of much more resilient and sort of able to manage obstacles and barriers that come their way. So we're having that conversation. And I think it's true for, you know, the messy middle too, and for transitions, like mm-hmm. all you need are like one or two key people who know you, who are willing to listen um, to, to sort of support you along the way. I think it would be really scary to be in the midst of transition and not have, I mean, it doesn't have to be maybe a coach, but having, you know, somebody that can help ask the right questions and, and help sort of support you while you're, you're in that space is really critical. So trust yourself and then maybe find, you know, two or three people in your life that you can trust as well to, to sort of be your anchors through that time. Mm. What do you sense is most important to you now? at this new volume chapter of your life? Yeah. So one of the things that has resonated with me the very most over the last couple of years was sort of this realization that I can have big impact and a small life at the same time. I don't know if you remember this conversation that we had, but like I can have big impact and a small life to kind of give some context around that for, for somebody that might be listening is that, you know, significance is one of my key values. Like I want to be significant. I want to have impact in the work that I do and, and live a purpose-driven life and have a do meaning-making in the work that I do. So I've always like really struggled with like, how do you do that? And sort of keep your life small and, Mm -hmm. and be a good mom and be a good wife and, you know, be out in my garden and (laughs) those sorts of things. So at this stage in my life, I think I'm really at a space at a place where I'm trying to figure out, and maybe it is a new messy middle, right? Like it's, 
figuring out how to really sort of do those two things at the same time. How can I have impact in the work that I'm doing? And I do feel like I'm in a job right now in a space right now where I'm having significant impact, maybe not on education in the United States, but I do think I'm having impact here at my university with my students and with my faculty and staff with whom I work on a daily basis. So how do I do that and have sort of a small, meaningful, quiet life at the same time? How do I do those two things concurrently? And so that that's what means a lot to me right now is uncovering an answer to that question. Yeah. And holding the both and in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angie, thank you so much for taking the time. This was delightful. Always. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. Here's the three things I'm taking away from this episode. First, restoration does not have to look the same for everyone. For some folks, it's sitting back in nature, breathing, just being. But for Angie, it was about doing. It was about letting her curiosity take her into new spaces and places. Dabbling gave her energy. What restores your well of energy? Second, experiment. Angie is such a shining example of identifying possible paths and creating meaningful experiments to try them on for size. And that you get to change your mind as a result of experimenting. You get to get off the subway, cross the street, and head back in another direction if that experiment didn't suit you. Third, it's not about what's happening out there, the work, the people. It's about noticing what's happening inside of you in response to what's out there and maintaining your sense of choice from that place. It can be a situation just like Angie described, where out there has great people, great work, great mission. But what's happening inside of you? Does that feel great too or not? If not, that alone is reason enough to get to make a change. Now for a sneak peek. Next week, I'm sharing my interview with Jessica. In her own words, Jessica went from being just fine to lit the fuck up as she transitioned out of event planning and into coaching. Last but not least, if you think this episode might resonate with a friend, please do share it with them. And if you like my energy, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, connect with me on Instagram, or learn more about my work at shannonshotler.com. Until next time, go forth into your very own messy middles with courage and compassion.